0: Requires high speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply.
2: Uh, you are now tuned into anything possible, the most honorable, the most. Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital Like Antoine when he shimmied After shots went through So tell me why you mad even Your team gonna be sad leaving After matching up with Brad Stevens. We drop twice a week like you tryna guard Kemba. <laughs> your team whack and your players is whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year, being a 12 plus six here. Carson that was top rookie, I'm seeing it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum and Hey with a brown. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up today. Hey <laughs> <Aziz. laughs> Jay, I, I see you there. She- Welcome to Anything Inspirable! The Boston Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard. Joined, oh, I forgot. I'm a professional sports fan. I call myself that. And I'm joined as always by the kid, the god, the legend himself. Those are all self-given nicknames. Jay King, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic. And we are in deep in off season mode. Um, the Athletic, the great John Hollinger, is releasing uh, rankings of players. He's not calling them rankings. He put them in tiers.
1: Seth Partnow.
2: Oh, Seth I'm so. I apologize because we've podcasted with Seth Partnow, and I've met him, and uh, he's a good guy. He put together these uh, tiers. Really goofed on that one, but we've uh, so we've entered uh, tier making season, and we've also entered. Uh, absurd trade season and so i figured we could mash the two together and really try to uh kind of evaluate
1: what tier is this podcast
2: in i would say this is tier uh if i'm gonna be honest 1b i don't think we're at the top yet i think we're uh um, oh, of fuck. celtics podcasts i would say we're uh the top tier but in the entire world of podcasts i think we still have some growth
1: <laughs> till, till we get on like rogan's level
2: yeah we need to get i need to start making some more money before i say claiming we're on a a top tier podcast but the celtics uh basically their top six guys what did daniel tice make the fifth tier
1: daniel tice was in the fifth tier yes
2: so he's a five five tier player then they had two four a guys in hayward and smart jalen brown three c Kemba Walker 3A and Jason Tatum 2C. It's wild. uh, Seth said he didn't like ranking players, but this is just like another way to uh, rank players. It just embraces a little bit more nuance. So I'm here for it. But what was your, I guess, your reaction to where the Celtics uh, were placed in this kind of, the new system we're operating in?
1: I thought for the most part, it was pretty fair. Daniel Tice never would have been considered a tier five player. The, other guys in that tier, among them were Al Horford, who the guy Tice I mean, close. but also
2: Zubach and uh Royce O'Neal, like it's a pretty expansive tier.
1: It's an expansive tier, but nobody would have expected Tice to be there. I'm not sure many people even expected Tice to be the starting center after the Celtics went out and got Ennis Cantor. He was third string the year before. So that that speaks to how good a season he had, and it also speaks to the fact that some people are really eager to see the Celtics get another center. And it's not super easy to upgrade from Daniel Tice, number one. I do think the backup situation needs some work, but but he's a tier five guy. He's a tier five
2: guy. Some call top. him B plus, some call him an A minus, but he turned in that like 89.5 season, some people round up, give him the A minus. Some people are mean round down, but he's was very good this year. A little bit of Celtics news. I forgot to mention they randomly announced that he had surgery. They removed a body from his knee, which uh, I don't know what that means, but doesn't sound good.
1: Just cleaning it up a little bit. <laughs> Just getting the bodies out. <laughs> no, that, that, that happens more often than you think. Yeah. Uh, just just arthroscopic surgery to clean something up in the offseason. So I, I doubt it's a big deal, but it is the same the same knee that he hurt uh a few years back, a couple years back. So that is at least a little concerning. Um but that type of surgery, not usually a huge deal.
2: Yeah, and but you mentioned the people are thirsty to upgrade from Tice, and it's like an understandable. Problem, I guess you want to fix is that the Celtics five best players really can't be um, on the court together at the same time. It really didn't work. And so ideally, you would have a big man to compliment um, and have like your crunch time lineup uh, kind of be more cohesive. And so there's thirst out there for a center and people just love trades. This is the. Especially People before do the love draft. trade, man. People and, and, love fucking trades. It's insane.
1: And they always convince themselves during trade season that everybody else's players are better, except the young guys. The young guys on on your favorite team are always untouchable or close to I it.
2: I just saw Sam Sheehan tweet that Romeo Langford is untouchable. Like he's convinced Romeo Langford is going to be an all to like long time starter, and it's just like there is nothing. Romeo is good, but like, it's absurd. People get so authoritative and so convinced that their trade and their valuation of players is absolutely correct. That it's, it's, it's insane. And I don't know why trades. Are you shitting on Sheehan right now? I'm shitting on uh, Sheehan uh, directly for his Romeo take. And then I'm shitting on the entire NBA Twitter for just everyone believing their own bullshit when it comes to these proposed trades No one knows anything, but they're like, you know what? That's way too much value. Or like, that's not enough. And it's, but people love doing trades. Like, especially with the draft and moving up picks. It's like, I don't know. Bill Simmons and Zach Lowe did an hour and a half just on like, what could we do for the number two pick? And it's just, I don't, I don't get it. It's just making up things out of nowhere.
1: This is also the season when everybody else's flawed big men become the answer like this the answer whether it's Andre Drummond in the past it's been like Nerlens Noel or or Willie Colley Stein it has everybody else's flawed big man is is the answer to your team's troubles even though the flawed big man on your own team in this case the Celtics for Celtics fans Robert Williams is probably better than a lot of the options you're talking about. So why
2: everyone? Why would anyone want Andre Drummond at this point? He's had like a couple twenty and twenty games against the Celtics, but he's been he does
1: put up crazy. He puts up crazy stat.
2: numbers about the Celtics, but like and he's huge. He's huge, but he's just now we see videos of him shooting threes, and we're like that. He's not. He's just a very large man. Like he doesn't. He's. I mean, he's in the same tier as Tice, but he and he makes a shit ton of money. The thing, I like. Hand up, I put out a crazy thought about just my feelings about a player because I saw everyone tweeting about the Celtics possibly trading for Miles Turner. And I tweeted, the thing about Miles Turner is that he's not good. Now, obviously he's good. And obviously that was just firing a hot take. But then my mentions were on fire for the next uh, probably like two hours of people debating whether or not he was good or he's awful. I was basically going on like the four games a year I see Miles Turner. I'm not a Miles Turner expert, but Jay, you are a professional writer. You're allowed to write about uh, basketball. I'm giving you permission to evaluate what players are good or not. Is Miles Turner
1: actually good? He's definitely good. Um, how good is up for debate? There's I did certainly- the season season comparison between him
2: and Tice, and Tice won every like statistic. Miles Turner averaged six rebounds a game last year at six eleven.
1: Yeah, but he was also next to Demonte Sabonis, who vacuums rebounds. So it wasn't like he was next to a bunch of wings and guards like Daniel Tice he's was. He's still
2: six eleven.
1: I know. I'm just giving context here. Just giving context. I think the the I- idea of Miles Turner might be better than what Miles Turner actually is. I think because he's Shoots a lot of threes.
2: Um, He shoots 34% from three, which is, like, good. He shot 38 last year, but how do you know which one is, like, the real thing? Like, the idea is you trade him, and then you have this, like, explosive five-out offense, but the man, all he does is spot up. He doesn't go into the paint. I don't know. I Like, he's very good defensively, according to the people yelling at me in my mentions, but I just don't think he's – he's objectively a good player, but – you would have to give up either Marcus Smart or Gordon Hayward to get him. Why like why, why?
1: give up assets for a guy who might be good? Uh, well, Turner is good. He's, he's good. But I don't know. You haven't question, convinced me yet. <laughs> the question is how good. And I, I think if he starts knocking down threes at a slightly higher clip, that changes the equation for him because then he, he gives a team the a high-volume guy, and those are the guys that, that stretch your defense because they're the guys who people will be flying out to close out. So or, his volume went up this year, and he made, like, only
2: 10 more threes, but he shot 100 more of them, so his percentage went down. So you Yeah, like-
1: and then, then I think the other question about his production, too, is how much of it would change if he's in an ecosystem where there aren't two bigs and two bigs you know in modern NBA offenses it normally clogs things up it takes away opportunities for at least one of the bigs that could be part of the reason why his three-point shooting volume went up because he's spacing so that DeMontis Sabonis can operate closer to the basket so there, there are questions about whether the context of a different situation would would increase his value and then obviously I mean he's He's six ten or six eleven or whatever he is, so he's a little taller than Daniel Tice. But Daniel Tice is good, and Daniel Tice and Miles Turner certainly had similar seasons. If like there there wasn't much difference between them this year, um, and and like you said, you'd have to go out and and get assets to to go get Turner. So I do think if if the Celtics got a Turner Tice front court duo for forty eight minutes, like that's really good. That's that's a good center duo, but also you'd, you'd have to give up a lot. You'd is have it to worth give up a lot to get that.
2: Turner is right now on the 4B tier, and basically the only two trades that would make, kind of make sense would be giving up either Gordon Hayward or Marcus Smart, some 4A players, according to Seth Partnow. Like, is it worth it to get, like, a five who for that top five guys and to give up, I guess, your sixth man, whether that be Smart or whether that be Hayward? Hayward seems to make more sense to me just because he's expiring. But even then, I just don't – I feel like it's a downgrade in talent uh, for more, I guess, flexibility or like having more roster cohesion.
1: Yeah, I think part of what made the Celtics so good this season was because they had so many wings. And it's a league where having wings really, really matters and having guys that are tough to match up against really, really matters. And I think it really hurt the Celtics in the playoffs that Hayward wasn't available for the most part and then came back and and wasn't really himself. When they had Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward all on the court, and Campbell Walker, those guys are super, super hard to match up against. And We didn't see those guys together much this season because of health, Um, but I think there's, there's reason to believe that if you keep that group together and benefit from a little more health luck, then the Celtics could have you know how good could their offense be they they were fourth in offense with no health luck or minimal health luck they were fourth in offense with a bench that gave them hardly anything in the way of outside shooting so make a couple tweaks there get a little healthy and I think the Celtics have a chance to have a really really dynamite offense next year Sounds like
2: we're both on team run it back. There's no trades, despite how gung ho people are right now. It is trade season. People love the trade machine. Also, I, I think the-
1: there, there could be some trades out there that would work and work. Lay well. them on me. Let me hear it. I don't know what those are, um, <laughs> but they exist. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm not necessarily team run it back. I I think the Celtics Your team run it back with the core. It sounds like you want the top seven guys to be,
2: continue. Yeah, but six they- guys.
1: On the team, the Hayward question, especially, I think, is is complicated because one, he hasn't been healthy; two, he's an expiring contract; and three, he's at an age where keeping him long term gets a little iffy, and the luxury tax concerns just make everything, you know, more everything tougher to, to keep together longer. So I, I think that looking for a Hayward trade and trying to construct one it would be wise for the Celtics front office to do. I don't know if there's a trade out there that makes sense because it's hard to keep the the value there. Um, you wouldn't be it, getting it, it, equal value back,
2: I think, at this point. I think Jordan Hayward's too good you're right about all his contract situations, but he's, you're not going to be getting ideally you would want two players back who kind of combine for that value, but you're not going to get a guy who's like a potentially could be an all-star with like a greater usage rate, but you would get someone to help the bench. And then someone, I don't know, maybe like, maybe like miles Turner, who's apparently actually good. According to Jay King, like, is that, I don't know. just, it seems unlikely, but we have no idea if Hayward's going to opt in or not. Uh, And that kind of changes I would assume he would, but he also has that kind of option of uh, kind of renegotiating re- for something longer. But I mean, other than so you're on you're on you're not on team run it back. I wanted to join up with a team, and you're just you're on team I'm, of sit back and like what let the Celtics do what they're going to do. You're not I'm a on proactive team every
1: GM. every decision is its own decision, and I like. I, That's running fair. it back, play running, every
2: single option. You that is a very Kaizen growth mentality. It was like say no to nothing, be open to everything.
1: Running it back wouldn't be horrible though. I think, if, like if if the Celtics just have the same guys back, they'll have a chance to be really freaking good. And if Jason Tatum reaches even another level, and Jalen Brown reaches another level, then that's a team that has a chance to win the Eastern Conference contend for a title. and Not a bad fallback plan, not, in my opinion. Not a bad plan. I mean, but but also I do think if you can get a, a bench upgrade to add a little scoring, if you can get a bench upgrade to get somebody with a little more size um, that can be dependable for the Celtics coaches, then... Cool. Get them for, for what
2: it. though, Jay? Where are you gonna find these upgrades?
1: Depends on the decision, baby.
2: <laughs> you're not putting out ideas. You only evaluate ideas. You don't put any out into the ether because uh, you don't want to. You're not a creative type. That came off as too mean, but that's you're, it's not your style. I'm not seeing Jay King. Right here are seven trade ideas for the Celtics. You're not a trade machine guy.
1: No, I'm 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 not a trade machine guy. I I the trade machine world bugs me at times.
2: Why, because of the salary cap, or you just uh, don't like hypotheticals? You like uh, real
1: decisions. Yeah, I'm not a big (laughs) hypothetical guy.
2: All right, we got a question actually from my main man, Eddie, which I was supposed to answer last week, but it's talking about if they do run it back, um, do they think they need to do anything? You mentioned how the the Celtics have a chance to have a historic offense. Um, Did I say historic? Um, I don't know. I'm, I, 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 think I, said,
1: I think I said dynamite offense and you just took that to mean historic. What a
2: wor- words don't have meaning, but you said the offense could be very good. Ed's question and people seem to be, uh, I guess frustrated with Brad Stevens at this point in his offense. And is asking if he needs to bring in like more assistant coaching to uh, do the offensive end. I guess I, I, I guess I was on Sam Sheehan's page, but, uh, he said that the Celtics would win the heat series if the Spo and, Uh, Steven switched. Um, I guess the coach, like the question is like, is there how much does Brad Stevens need to get better and what can he uh, improve upon? Because um, if they're going to run it back, like there's going to be, have to be some sort of change in dynamic other than just like the players getting better. And so I don't know what my question is, but just talk about Brad Stevens and his coaching ability, please. And where you see it right now.
1: So you, you talk about with the offense. The or start with the, the offense with and the then offense.
2: wax poetic about whatever yeah, you
1: like. I, I think Stevens has always been one of the – or has typically been one of the NBA's better defensive coaches. I think historically, if you look at his offenses, they haven't been up to par with the defensive production. And some of that, I think, has been because of personnel – some of it has been he's probably squeezing a lot out of the talent that they had in the first place. Um, but, you know, the first year with Kyrie, when they had Kyrie, Tatum, Brown, Horford, all those guys, I think they were 18th in offensive efficiency. The next year when Kyrie came back healthy, they were 10th in offensive efficiency. I think you can look at both of those and think those are disappointing. This year, I thought like they maximized or came close to maximizing their offensive production. They finished fourth in offensive efficiency. They had a bench that Shimmy Ojale was probably their best shooter most of the year off the bench because Marcus Smart was in the starting lineup plugging in for whoever was injured. They had tons of missed games for their better players, which was like they were they were one of the most harmed teams by injuries this season and and finish fourth so I, I think his offense has changed in in ways that's beneficial i think the celeks ran more pick and roll they were attacking i think if if you look at the numbers there are still obvious ways for the offense to grow they were middle of the pack in shooting and i think part of that was the injuries part of that was the lack of shooting depth they could absolutely use another shooter from the bench but that's not um,
2: something like Stevens can control. That's, that's, that's not like entirely like he needs better people.
1: I think the, the one consistency for most of Stevens's tenure or one of the consistencies has been that the Celtics are middle of the pack or worse in getting shots at the rim and drawing free throws. And I think there was a year or two with Isaiah when they were – pretty good at those things, but typically they haven't been great at that. And they weren't this year, even though they finished fourth. And even though they had athletic wings and Kemba Walker and all of that. So I think somehow they need to find ways to produce those points. And I think part of it will just be Tatum growing up. Yeah. Um, I was going to
2: ask, why do you think that is as guys are not putting enough emphasis on finishing towards the rim or is like, they draw a second defender and their offense is designed to kind of pass out of that. Like, how do you, cause with it, it was like very much downhill, get around the pit, like the screen and attack the rim. Kemba's not as much like that. And he seems like he got worse at that as the year went on. I don't know if that was injury related, but like, I don't know, is you tell the players to try to finish through contact. How much of is that coaching and how much of that is
1: personnel? I think, I think some of it is is—it's probably both. Um, and I think there, there can be beneficial things to not just going gung-ho at the rim, like making good decisions, kicking out for three. Those can all be beneficial. Um, but I think especially with Tatum, like Tatum needs to do a better job drawing free throws. They need to get better. And part of it, like that's not who he is, who he has been, is being physical around the rim, finishing like like a lebron or somebody like that um so part of it is definitely personnel but the Celtics
0: discovered the latest collections from david yurman as seen recently styled on basketball stars like jaime jaquez jalen green d'angelo russell and others david yurman is a celebrated american jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art architecture and the natural world the story of david yurman begins in new york city with david a sculptor
1: and generating layups and, and dunk attempts and free throw attempts. That's That's been, even this year when they were really good, that was something that that could be improved.
2: The thing, I, I, I feel wholly unqualified to try to evaluate coaching because it feels like one step removed from the process where it's like you have no idea if their players are executing or doing the thing that the coach is trying to like have them put an emphasis on. I feel like we put way too much energy and trying to say, like, this coach is better than that. It's mostly people saying, like, I would have done this rotation, and it's really hard to, like, be able to tell which players got better and if that's because the players did something or because, you know, the coach really schemed them up good. And so I have no idea how to evaluate. I would be curious to see how, like, Brad evaluates himself and how, like, his assistant coaches uh, because there's no – I don't know how you, like, try to assess that because what if the player just doesn't pick something up or it's just, like – it's really difficult for them. It's not necessarily the coach's
1: fault. Yeah, and there's a lot that goes into coaching that nobody will ever know about. And that that's why evaluating coaches is so difficult. For the most part, when people rank coaches or evaluate coaches, it's it's based on how the media thought the season was going to go versus how the season actually went. And so sometimes it's just like the, the media screwed up, didn't expect much out of a team, and that team was – Really good. That team was always going to be really good.
2: All of a sudden, Ty Lu is the best in-game adjustment guy in the league, right? It's like you hear Ty Lu's great coach. Ty Lu was also during his in-game adjustments had LeBron James, like the smartest basketball player we've ever like known. How much of the Ty Lu making in-game adjustments, or how much of his like photographic memory, LeBron James knowing every other team's plays and things like that, making adjustments? It's just weird how much of a I was about to say the word narrative, but I hate that uh word with respect to sports and sports coverage, but it makes sense. I don't know. It's just the one thing I think yeah, I worry about, about Brad Stevens. And this is a not, it's like none of the intangibles. It's at what point has he just been to the Celtics, like too long without winning Like some guys like tune him out. I don't think this is like actually going to happen, but at some point, if you're just not successful in a place for, I don't know what, how many, what's his, eighth seventh season w- would you say he hasn't been successful i would say he's been good but he hasn't reached his goal like the goal is always the championship he's gotten better but how I think many times tricked-
1: have they had a championship team
2: Twice. or a team,
1: a team that that realistically could have won a championship 2018 19 you could probably say they were talented enough Although the Warriors. I'd say the
2: past two years, like they they had a shot, but like that's about it. And I think that's what makes this year most frustrating. I think you're right. He overcoached, and we'll give him credit for that, but we really should be giving like Jonas Derebko credit for lifting those teams. Like he like basically brought some teams that had no business being in the playoffs. And I think he raised his expectations. But I do think there's a like the ultimate goal is winning the championship. They're always building towards winning a championship. If you just don't do it for like 10 years, despite maybe overperforming, I think there's some point in time where you like move on from that person. I don't not saying that's something I want, but I think there's like a set at some point diminishing returns. If you don't ultimately, I get like win that championship.
1: Yeah. But how many times has a Brad Stevens team lost a playoff series? It was supposed to win. I can think of one big one that's uh, fresh in my memory. The, the Miami one is probably the only one. Maybe like the the Hawks series was kind of close, but that Hawks team that was like was, a meaningless. That Hawks team playoffs. was pr- pretty good. It was Millsap and. And Horford. They could have
2: beat the Cavs when they missed all of those threes, but it's still like, would have been shocked if they beat the Cavs with that team. Yeah, it
1: was, that was LeBron against a bunch of young guys who'd never been there before. So that was, I think, when you really look at what Stevens has done, and I mean, to some extent, the expectations were so high for that playoff series because of how good a job he did, because you know, he set up Jason Tatum to take the leap and he fit in Kemba Walker seamlessly and he managed to coax a top four offense and defense with a limited bench and center options that he didn't always know what was going to happen. So I think when when you really look at it, like, yes, it was hugely disappointing for the Celtics to lose to Miami. And I do think. That was uh, this was an a actual title shot. How many how many percent chance they had to win against LeBron? I don't know. But this was this was the first year when it was like, OK, that was that was a loss that maybe should have been a win.
2: But that brings into the whole question of how we evaluate coaching. Is that a loss because Brad Stevens? told them to turn the ball over down the stretch in the fourth quarter or like hadn't got them locked in enough or like their body fat was too high that they kept on making mistakes or was that just the players fucking up? Like Brad Stevens immediately after the series said he was like proud of their effort. He got the guys playing hard enough and like they were doing what they were like supposed to think. They just made a number of mistakes. Is it Brad Stevens fault that they lost to the heat or is it the players who happened to mess up on like consecutive possessions? I don't know. It feels like there's always like if Brad was a good coach, they wouldn't have made mistakes. And it's just like, that's just not how it works. Yeah,
1: And I think, I do think, I mean, numbers suggest that the Celtics have to work on getting a zone offense next year. That was obviously something that the Raptors took advantage of at times, obviously something that he took advantage of at times. And I think synergy Sports said the Celtics finished 22nd in zone offense for the regular season.
2: Remember for that, the half in game three where they had figured out and everyone and by everyone, I mean, me thought the series was like, finally, we solved it. And then um, it still gave them problems the rest of the series. That was frustrating. <laughs> Remember when Tyler Hero scored 37 points looking like B-Rabbit
1: in eight mile? Yep. That was uh, not great for the Celtics. Not great for the Celtics. But yeah, I mean, there were a lot of moments that you look to in that series. The bam block on Tatum, that really changed the whole series. Is it
2: Brad's fault that Kemba Walker couldn't take Jay Crowder one-on-one and jumped into his arms uh, on the game-winning attempt? I at uh, What was that, the end of game one? Maybe. Maybe it's the fact that Kemba Walker was clearly had his knee hurt and uh, no longer had the same burst. I don't know. This thing is it's uh, it's hard to evaluate. Um, any other crazy trades or crazy offseason acquisitions that you've seen out there on the Twitter world you want to talk about? I'm not even going to mark. Uh... Bill Simmons brought up the trade of possibly trading the Warriors number two pick for Marcus Smart. I don't think he was actually suggesting it, but I just thought the idea of Marcus Smart on the Warriors would be absolutely insane. And I liked imagining it just from a basketball perspective. Um, but I don't think that trade was ever going to happen. It's in the world of let's just talk about crazy things. But how good would the Warriors be with Marcus Smart as the crazy six man off the bench?
1: That would be pretty dope defensive lineup. Pretty, pretty Pre- dope. That, defensive That's lineup. some good
2: breakfast right there.
1: Draymond and Draymond's crazier
2: brother. <laughs> Draymond and smaller, crazier, more willing to punch you, Draymond. Um, have you learned anything about the draft yet? I've learned nothing.
1: I have been watching dudes. Any
2: any any top thoughts?
1: I like any Onyeka t- Okongwu.
2: That's the people. That's the way everyone is on Celtics Twitter talking about they want to trade up to number 8 with the Knicks. Maybe trade away Carson Edwards and the 14 to get this guy. What makes him so good?
1: He's 6-9, athletic as hell, can move his feet. Can block shots, can rebound, kind can of score. Pro- projects as a modern big.
2: Does he shoot the puck?
1: No, he's he has not proven to be a shooter.
2: <laughs> so he's just a more athletic Grant Williams.
1: Put some respect on Grant Williams' name.
2: You is he or is he not more athletic than Grant Williams?
1: Yeah, he's more athletic than Grant Williams. But I
2: didn't. I was not disrespecting Grant Williams. I like Grant Williams. He played board games with me. Of course, I like Grant Williams. No,
1: they're they're very, they're very different players. He and Grant Williams. All right, but. and
2: and that's anything of potable Draft talk. Uh, that's what we do here. Uh, we we embrace until they come into the league. I don't really care for them. But um, lots of trades out there. Those are the other ones. Uh, people trying to evaluate players and uh, trade value picks. It's in trade season. But we'll let the uh, the Twitterverse do that. Jay. During the season, we and during the playoffs, we stumbled upon something amazing. Um, something incredible. Something incredible. And I, am like, apologize to the listener gods out there because we thought you know, like we got out of our rhythm. The game stopped playing, and we stopped basically the greatest segment known to man, uh, the potable six pack, where me and you, snake draft style, just pick the best things uh, in the world. And we did it in the games. We did it for each game. But now in the off season, we're going to have to kind of transition topics. We talked last week about me uh, taking a risk, playing some pickup basketball on the streets of uh, Manhattan. Um, but it got me thinking, it, it got me feeling nostalgic. I missed playing pickup. And so me and you are going to do the potable six pack of playing pickup basketball. You, things you miss uh, from hooping and me, I'll, I'll do things that I'm, uh, I'm slowly getting a small taste of. But I'll give you the first pick. What is the thing you like the most or miss the most about playing pickup?
1: Uh, This isn't necessarily the thing I miss the most, but I got to go with it as my first pick. And it's something that doesn't happen to me nearly as often as it used to. But when your defender in a pickup game switches off you or when someone else decides he needs to switch on you because you're just cooking somebody. That is such a great feeling. Like you just demoralized someone. You just, you just proved that they were your inferior over and over and over again until someone decided that they just could not continue watching that nonsense anymore. So it's when pretty
2: demoralizing th- for the defender. I've, I haven't been on the offensive side. I have no offensive game. But I've had people, my teammates come up to me and me like, yo, let me get this dude because he is cooking you. And let me tell you, the other side of the coin, uh, it doesn't feel great. It um, so that, that doesn't really
1: happen to me anymore. Um, but it used to. And fuck, it was awesome.
2: The only thing I can say that I've experienced close to that is when the guy you're guarding is like, oh, everyone back away. Let me ISO this dude. And then you, like, get a block at the rim or, like, block it or steal it outright. I think, like – because I have no offensive game, as most people – most people. No one's ever seen me play pickup. But uh, I have no offense. I can only contribute on defense. And so, yeah, the switch – the switch because someone's dominating is just uh, – it's no it's no fun for the defense, but I imagine it's a great feeling. Oh, man. I miss
1: it. I miss the days.
2: Um, my first pick – And again, because I have no offense, most of these are just going to be defensive moments. And this is so, I think, pretty, I don't want to say nerdy, but it's like not cool, is when in pickup, if I play in weak side defense and break up a pass on a pick and roll, I feel like a genius. I feel like, oh, man, I saw that pick and roll coming. The roll man was wide open and I did my job. I was like. I'm scrappy as hell. People are like nice defense. It's the extra effort and pickup that makes me feel like I'm actually doing something because I have no real talent or skills. And so, whenever I can do like actually contribute, uh, that's when I feel my best out there.
1: All right, you got another pick.
2: Um, it kind of goes back to uh, just like when dudes try to call you out, but like. Uh, I'm pretty good at pickpocketing dudes on crossovers. I got quick hands. And so when dudes try to cross me up because they think I'm a lumbering white man, um, be able to get that steal is good, but then it's ruined because I usually fuck up the layup on the other end. So it's like that brief (laughs) moment where I've gotten the steal before I fail uh, the wide open layup.
1: That's classic. This is going to be, it's not really basketball, but, but it is, and I think a lot of people will be able to relate to it. Man, maybe not. Maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> we'll see. But walking out of a gym, which with shorts on in the cold, like the feeling of like a yes. brisk day after you've played basketball, and walking in socks and sandals and shorts, and it just feels cold. And I don't know why, but it it always takes me back to I. I lived across the street from uh, my high school, where I where I grew up, and I would I would I would walk over to the high school practices and stuff. Always have shorts on, and every time I walk out of a gym with shorts on like that, and it's cold, and I feel that it just sends me right back to when I was young and and still thought I could accomplish anything, and so I love that. Like there's, it's very nostalgic for me just walking outside with shorts on.
2: That was poetic. I don't have the feelings of like a uh, belief that I could do anything in the world but it is nice just <laughs> like uh, walking out after playing pickup in the cold you have to be wearing sandals like it's a good feeling if you've been playing basketball for 2 hours to switch like take off those shoes take off the socks switch into some slides and like walk out there you're I'm with you I'm with you
1: 100%. And then the other one obvious, obviously obviously I I'm really missing basketball based on like how how emotional I'm getting over these <laughs> um but Just the sounds, man, like when when you walk into a gym and you hear the shoes squeaking and the ball bouncing and like I I never want to be a part of a I rarely want to be a part of a basketball team anymore, except when I'm at a Celtics practice and I'm watching like guys working on their game, shooting around at jumpers, laughing with each other, like all the sounds of basketball, the dribbling and I, it, it the, the trash talking, like all of that just gets to me. So, so that'd be another one.
2: That's fair. You, you, you really do miss it, man. You can just, there's like a twinkle in your eye now. As as soon as I haven't
1: t- played since March, man. This is the longest by far I've ever gone without playing basketball. Uh, my favorite moments uh, or one of is when, you know, when
2: you play pickup with a guy and he's just like the, the he's like talking the most amount of shit. Um, and it tends to be the guy who doesn't go back on defense and ho- like hogs the ball on uh, offense a lot, like only chucks and then doesn't get back, but is always talking. Um, it's when he finally locks in to play defense and gets absolutely cooked and then blames someone else on his team for fucking up. It's when the when the bad karma uh, Pick up players, the ones you really like really kind of ruin the game, it's when they get their come is always a good, uh good feeling for me. I don't talk at all when I play, uh, mostly just because I'm a shy, nervous boy, I guess. But um like the dudes who talk the most and ruin the games, uh, when they get just absolutely destroyed, it's like a it's great for me. It's a great moment of justice.
1: Yeah. That's 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 a good one. I I had some honorable mentions too. Let's hear them. You clearly have I'm I'm glad I sent you this earlier so you can work the full list. This I I think a lot of a lot of white guys will probably identify with this, like playing pickup at a place where people don't really know you and and getting getting picked last or close to last because you're the white guy who nobody knows. I I can remember playing this is when I was college basketball player i was never a good college basketball player but i was good enough to be on a college basketball team and i played pickup somewhere in like maryland or something i I don't know i was on a a trip somewhere and i was literally played at lifetime fitness with a bunch of like high school scrubs and i was the last pick i was the last picked in a pickup game and then The moment, though, when they start to realize that you're not just some random white dude and that you're actually kicking all their asses. (laughs) That is that is a great moment. Um, And then the other the other white boy moment is when you're playing in a league and everyone calls you like the random white guy. It's probably it's probably Duncan Robinson. Now it used to be. Kyle Korver, I used to get Steve Nash, Peja Stojakovic. Um, like I, I had no, no Steve Nash in my Kevin game. Kevin Love. But, but people would call me Steve Nash or Peja, um whenever I got going. So that that was great when when they were like, oh, shit, Paige is out there. <laughs> that was. That's glory. always a
2: great moment. I mean, I'm clearly not as good as basketball. You've probably had more of those. But I do have a moment like that which is uh, fantastic take me, take us back traveled yesteryear, like three or four years ago in summer league, my boy, uh, Nick Friedman, who's coach on the Hornets. We were at summer league and he was like, he does like ran individual workouts and he's like, yo, you want to come help me out with this workout? We need like working out Joe Johnson. So we go to this like little ass gym somewhere on the outskirts of Vegas. And there's like Joe Johnson's there. Like the Pargo twins are there. A couple people, and they like start running pickup and I'm the 11th guy there. So I'm like, clearly I'm just like a hanger on with, uh, with Rick. And so I'm just sitting there and they like play like three games with guys who I would say are not as good as me, but still had like Joe Johnson and the Pargos in the game. And eventually there, I was just like, yo, like they played like three games. I was like, yo, can I like hop in? It took me a while to like work my courage up. And eventually they're like, yeah, fine. And they totally looked at me like, who the fuck is this guy? And and me, Joe Johnson, and my boy Rick, just uh, we just started flowing, man. Uh, knocked down some corner threes because they were leaving me wide open. Started like high five and Joe Johnson the way back down the court. It was it was probably my greatest uh, moment on a basketball court. Was just like feeling like I didn't feel like I belonged, but like I didn't embarrass myself with the Pargo twins and Joe Johnson. And um, I ended up at Amigos show that night.
1: So they're not like twins, the bro. I said they're, twins. They're just, they're just brothers. Well, they're, uh, yeah, I stand corrected. (laughs) And they don't look anything like each other.
2: I don't really remember. uh, I think remember what Jeremy looks like. I don't remember. I don't even, is it Justin Pargo? I just think of them as the Pargo twins in my head, but clearly they're not even twins. They're not twins. Well, I played pickup with both of them uh, and it was a good time. Uh,
1: That's, that is, that does, that's a great story, even though you didn't know that they're not twins. I mean, I didn't, I got the base facts down. All right,
2: Jay, let's, did you, do you have any more movie takes? I've been trying to get you to watch Airbud all week. You clearly did not watch it. Did you watch any other movies? This is Jay's movie corner.
1: I did not watch any movies this week.
2: Do you want to hear me tell you the plot of Airbud?
1: No, no, I don't.
2: <laughs> you sure?
1: Yeah, very sure.
2: Okay. I would say it's a, it's an all right movie. Uh, but not great. I won't go through the entire plot, but there are some great moments in the Airbud, and I highly recommend it. Um, if Jay is not going to talk about any other movies or talk about Airbud, I think it's about time uh, we wrap it up. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you want to hear us talk about anything, just add us on Twitter and just write us a tweet, and we'll probably end up talking about it. He is at by Jay King. I'm at J. M. Packard. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe rate it five stars, do all those things. And thank you for listening to this episode of anything is potable. You would have hated Airbud, man. It's an awful
1: movie. Airbuds fucking trash. man.
2: <laughs> it was really, really bad. I took, I did take notes on it, but you should watch it. It'd be, you would hate it so much. That's not a
1: ringing endorsement.
2: <laughs> no, but you've got to think about it, Jay, when you're angry, people enjoy it.